homeschooling my kids, there was like a very clear moment in one of the years where I had, I saw like, um, the expectations I was bringing, you know, all the time. And I had to come to like the realization that um, I don't want my kids to come to the end of it and say like nothing was ever good enough for you. Mm-hmm. You know, that just does not feel good. And so learning to, I was even saying to my husband tonight, um, well, our oldest daughter um, got a lead role in a ballet, which is very exciting. And I've been just telling her how proud I am of her and all her hard work. And she She's like responded so she just it's like she's eating it up mm-hmm. and it, I said to him I was like you need to remind me to give more praise to the kids yeah. you know and I think it's it's hard to say that about yourself because yeah. you don't want to admit yeah. um, because you, it's like we love people it's not that it's just because our expectations are so high and we expect people to meet them very little praise comes because you're like yeah. well I expect you to do that yeah. you know Welcome to the Story Enneagram Podcast. I'm Jim Gum, and I'm an Enneagram teacher and coach living in Kansas City. Today, we're going to consider what Kristen, whom you heard in the opening, came to fear. That she didn't want her kids to leave home with the belief that nothing was ever good enough for her. We'll look at what drives such high standards and the unintended consequences that make type 1s wonder if it's really worth the cost. Type 1s are dependable and a great resource for creating reliable systems. They set a high bar. They thrive in positions where financial integrity, ethics, and personal conduct really matter. When I was writing my online course, Kristen was my proofreader. Now, mind you, I had spent hours writing and rewriting before turning it over to her. She was incredible. Even though I thought I'd removed all the errors, she could find something on every single page. I asked her, how do you do this? And her reply was telling, I just can't not see what's wrong. Do you work or live with a type one? and get frustrated that you don't measure up? Today, we'll listen in on several type ones in conversation. You'll find out what's going on inside of type ones is very different from what you may experience on the outside. The most common question asked in an Enneagram class is, was I born a specific type? or did my environment shape my type? It's the classic nature versus nurture question. I saw a t-shirt that read, nature versus nurture? No matter which, you can still blame your parents. My own belief is that we're born with a predisposition to a particular type, and it doesn't change during our lifetime. I think we interpret our childhood through that type's lens. Listen in on how Jillian describes her experience. Um, yeah, I think childhood really brought it into focus for me. Um, thinking about, I had some crazy siblings who did not like to follow the rules. And so yeah. um, it wasn't even that I I had very strict parents, but I was holding myself to a really high standard mm-hmm. and, um, you know, always 
condemning them for getting in trouble <laughs> and being the moral high ground. And um, the other thing that really stuck out to me was not really the anger. I was like, I'm, I'm not an angry person. Oh. But when we talked about resentment, I was like, oh, that's all over. Like I... Mm. Even, yeah, just minor things where I'm like, that's just not the right thing to do there. I, it's really hard for me to let go of the resentment. Well, listening to them talk about um, the, the upbringing or family actually reminded me that I think in one of the books I had read when you'd first introduced me to the Enneagram, um, it talked about maybe having a, one of your parental figures was not strong, mm -hmm. uh, like absent maybe even, mm -hmm. and you feeling, the child feeling like they have to then take responsibility because boundaries aren't being put on them, mm -hmm. on you as a child. And so I definitely related to that. My parents got divorced um, around age seven and, um, my mom was put in a position where she needed to work two jobs and so she mm. was tired you know a lot and I remember vividly like one time going and um kind of tapping her she had fallen asleep on the couch and I was like mom it's time for me to go to bed you know so just having to at a young age kind of step into a more like adult mm -hmm. you know a caretaking role for yourself and so having to put those you know boundaries or even like I'm gonna be the best I can like I'm going to be good and because this didn't go you know well yeah. and here's Lisa I think it was whenever I was first studying with you and we were going through the part of the chapter that talked about um, how we were raised and talking about our parents. And that was a big red flag for me. And at the time I was pretty sure I was a one, but was maybe thinking I could be a six or a seven. Um, but um, it was really when I read the, the um, self-preservation part of the one, but also especially about um, how I was raised that really made me feel like um, this is where I belonged and that this was um, my people. So yeah. like, for example, um, it said that your parents would be really strict maybe. And mm -hmm. that really, um, I really identified with that. Mm -hmm. I was punished a lot for really minor offenses and mm -hmm. I was praised a lot for, um, you know, even the smallest things. So I was always trying to be a good girl. Jillian, Kristen, and Lisa, whom you just heard, all felt that it was their duty to be the high moral ground, to be the good girl, to be the best person they could be. Isn't it interesting that even though they all have that same desire, they arrived there in three different ways. Jillian spoke about her crazy siblings. Kristen told about her single mom exhausted from working two jobs. Lisa talked about her strict parents. Type 1s eventually find that it's second nature to have high standards. It's how they show up in the world. We use the phrase black and white thinking to describe when someone is sure about what they believe. Others see issues as varying shades of gray. I remember having a couple ones on a panel when they received a question from the audience from a non-one who asked, how do you know what's right? The two ones looked at each other for a moment and responded, We just know. The standard for the one isn't out there. It's in here. It's part of the factory settings. Um, 
yeah, I would just say you just know like what is right. And that's that's actually what has been interesting trying to learn um, about different things, you know, hot topics and politics or different things. Sometimes you just kind of like have this gut feeling and what's hard then is to like dive in and figure out why because it's not as interesting to research it when you already feel like you know the answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and so you don't feel like you have to do that hard work. You just kind of know. But then if you get into a conversation with somebody who doesn't know and disagrees, then you don't really know oh. anything. So. Um, growing up, I had a much younger brother, and so he was he's six years younger than me and nine years younger than my sister. And so he just didn't really have very many rules, and my parents were tired and, <laughs> you know, driving around three kids from three different schools. And um, mm -hmm. so there was not very much structure for him and not a lot of discipline and follow-through with, you know, just his life. And so um, I found myself in a lot of arguments with my parents saying, well, no, you know, he needs to be punished. This is what, the, you know, <laughs> he knew if he did this, this is what was going to happen. And they, you know, they wouldn't follow through. And I was in the corner like, guys, we need to, we need to do this because he's just going to get crazier. Like, yeah. Yeah. so that was yeah, realizing that. Was, you just had that strong sense. Oh yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't control, like I couldn't just not say anything. I knew it was going to be a fight. And like, that was also hard because I was like, I need to be a peacemaker. Like that's, you know, I, this is, that also felt wrong of like making a fight, but I was like, no, he's got to learn the rules. And yeah. so that was kind of always a struggle growing up. Have you ever heard one sibling say to the other, you're not the boss of me? It can cause tension in a family when siblings are playing by two sets of rules. It makes the one angry. They're thinking, why do they get off so easily? How come the rules don't apply to them? There's a phrase that the author Sandra Matry uses about type ones. She calls the anger standing against reality. They push against what's happening and want to set the world straight. Listen to how Kristen talks about how this plays out. There's definitely been times nothing is come, specific is coming to mind except um, I think as a parent, um, oftentimes, you know, being with other parents and either their lack of discipline or awareness mm -hmm. of what their kids are doing or maybe even the way that they talk to their kids. If I find it inappropriate or wrong, like definitely there's, a there's inner, something right there. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> you know, where you just either want to like tell them that's not acceptable or you need to pay attention to your child or you know whatever yeah. it is so um i would say that comes up fairly f frequently with yeah. four children but i have learned i think in you know becoming more aware of your type i've learned like it's you know try to recognize it's not my job to tell them how to parent i just need to focus on my own you know they, brood. people don't really appreciate that they don't appreciate being told <laughs> no that's the trap door for type ones. It's easy for them to see the mistake, the error, the poor behavior. They can't not notice it. It may seem like they're always pointing out others' wrongdoings and they come off as critical. Some have trouble being around type ones because they end up feeling judged. Russ Hudson of the Enneagram Institute shared a funny story. He was in class listening to a panel of type ones. 
His neighbor leaned over to him and said in all seriousness, I don't like ones. They're too judgmental. There really isn't joy in pointing out the wrongs of others. Listen to how Kristen and Lisa describe it. It's hard too because there is something that we morally or ethically that is very like clear mm-hmm. right but i think then it's hard to sometimes not allow that to go then over into relationships like mm-hmm. when you were talking about your sister i was thinking about my mom and how things in talking with her seem so clear to me mm-hmm. and i realize that oftentimes things seem very clear from the outside perspective yeah. and not as clear for us i i totally understand that but i think as a one it seems like this path is very evident mm-hmm. But it's not evident to the other person. And so I've had to learn how to say, like, it's not, there's no, I well, I've learned because I've done it too many times where I've been like, this is what you need to do. You know, like, this is so clear. And, but then the person, you know, she doesn't or whoever doesn't do it over and over and over. Right. And then you start to say like, okay, that's not working. <laughs> and so maybe I just actually need to become, and so I, you know, there have been some moments where I, and I credit the Enneagram to this, just the waking up and becoming more aware where you can be in that moment and actually make the decision not to say that and mm-hmm. instead to maybe ask a question yeah. or invite them into something yeah. else. And it goes differently. And it, I know we've talked about that. <laughs> yeah. It's like very freeing yeah. because I think we do carry because of that ethical moral, we carry a lot of the weight of the world on our shoulders. And so- I just think that, you know, the, whenever you were talking about the weight of the world, um, especially just in today's climate, it can feel really overwhelming. Yeah. And I think just in learning that I can't perfect everything and that I can only do what I can do today um, and that things aren't my fault. That's yeah. something that's been really yeah. um, big, not only personal things, but just the, the problems in the world aren't my fault and um you know just being able to acknowledge that and to free myself from the burden of always having to try to correct the world and myself you know it's just exhausting so what Kristen and lisa are describing is a burden the weight of the world the one is a high standard sure but it's also the standard to which they hold themselves. And that is by far the most burdensome. Uh, I mean, that was actually one of the reasons I knew I was a one Mm -hmm. was uh, reading the self-preservation subtype and reading about the inner critic. Mm -hmm. And it said that for this type of one and for ones in general, that the inner critic can be operating 90% of the time. So this voice that's telling me what's right to do and what's wrong to do and in every situation and how to behave and what to say. and so uh, reading that that's only for ones and that it gets less and less with other types and everybody has some sort of yeah. uh, moral code or something speaking to them. But for a one, it can be 90% of the time. I think um, just the anger and the body type have become really evident for me. I feel like I'll feel something in my body before I've even registered it in my brain. And so I'm like boiling over inside and I don't even know why yet. 
Um, so just being able to identify that ain't like that I'm that I'm angry because yeah. as ones that like we don't want to say that we're angry. I'm just like I just am upset. I'm just frustrated. Um, <laughs> frustrated is yeah, a big word. <laughs> yeah, and so to be able to identify and say no, this is anger, and like that's just call it what it is and deal with it in that way. Um, and to say hey, I'm wrong in this situation, which is very hard. Super um, hard. But yeah, that's just one way that I've been able to just really pinpoint what's happening and why I'm feeling so upset. (laughs) Sometimes you see the anger of a one, but most of the time they're trying to keep it under wraps. Ones have a clear vision for both how things should be and how things could be better. They have a critical eye in the best possible way. Unfortunately, that inner critic just works overtime. What ones need from the rest of us is to be let off the hook. Hey, that's good enough. You can relax. There's nothing you need to do here. I like to tell type ones this. You're a winner. You've won the highest integrity trophy. All your friends know it. You can place it on your mantle. Now you're free. You can slack off a little. Go have some fun. Go ahead and put play before work. Take time for that hobby. And you know what? Your friends will always know that you have that trophy on your mantle. for listening to the Story Enneagram podcast today. If you or someone you know is worn out by their own inner critic, you've come to the right place. Wouldn't it be great to transform your relationships at work and at home? Visit my website at storyenneagram.com. I offer solutions for the workplace and training sessions for businesses, schools, and nonprofits. I also offer personal coaching packages for individuals or couples. Drop me a line and let's explore what the Enneagram can do for you. Please subscribe to the Story Enneagram podcast. Share it with your friends and family. And if you're really feeling it, leave a rating in the App Store. I'd appreciate it. Our music is by Daniel Gum. You can hear his music on Spotify or wherever you get your music. And yes, we do have the same last name. That's it for this episode of Story Enneagram podcast. Story Enneagram, where learning your type is just the beginning of a whole new story. Story.